Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of Paddock Pass, the podcast where we talk all things motorsport. I'm your host Evie Spencer, an aspiring motorsport journalist from the UK and you can follow me on TikTok, Instagram and YouTube at Evie Spencer Motorsport. Make sure to follow my socials and this podcast for lots of motorsport content. Hope you enjoy! So today I'm here with Alex. Alex, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Alex Goldschmidt. I'm a motorsport commentator, presenter. I work in social media and content creation. Perfect. So when and how did you find motorsport? Well, through the help of my dad back in 1988 for the Monaco Grand Prix, when a certain Ayeton Senna was doing a number on everyone else before he uh, binned it in the tu- before the tunnel, uh, about to lap his then teammate, Alan Prost. Uh, but before that, the first ever real experience was trackside, went to the 1986 British Grand Prix when it was still being held at Brands Hatch. Missed qualifying by 20 minutes and watched uh, an absolute cracker of some support races. So Formula Ford was big back in the day. You know, so it was it was my first real experience trackside from my perspective, but it was my dad that really sort of helped. He said, let's let's put Murray Walker and James Hunt on and bring Formula One. And from then I was hooked. I love that. So you say like you're watching it, but did you did you ever like participate in motorsport? Did you ever do any of that? No, I mean, on and off over my my life. I mean, for those wondering, I, I was born in 1977. I'd just given my age away, but never mind. I've done some rental carts, but nothing in a true competitive sense, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same. I'm completely and utterly, like, involved in motorsport, but, like, I can't tell my lefts from my rights. And I've said this so many times before on the podcast, but I would just be awful. So I understand that. So can you tell the listeners like about your job and what it involves? Well, I'm a multilingual commentator. My surname being Goldschmidt, I'm an eighth German by descent. So my family has origins from Berlin in, in Germany. So quite proud of that heritage. And the thing is, is that how I got involved in commentary, well, it all started back in 2011. I started writing about racing. So I, I wrote for a pop culture website which is now defunct called pop fodder i have to give a shout out to my, my good friend from birmingham chris Dera, who runs a fantastic agency called super digital we've been good friends ever since haven't met up in person to share a cold alcoholic beverage but that's the life that that, that i lead i started writing about wrc and MotoGP, and i actually got an interview thanks to lauren vickers with randy de former MotoGP rider. Then it went to Formula One because the they weren't happy with the person that was writing for them, was going more about details on lap so-and-so. They did this lap time. They wanted someone to tell a story, so I took over that. Then I ended up doing the checkered flag. Bear with me, folks, because I'm trying to make this as compact as humanly possible. I then went on board with the checkered flag, became the DTM correspondent. So that was at the same time that Scott Mitchell, who's now with the race, was doing the British Touring Car Championship coverage. I was with them for a couple of years, went to another website, touringcars.net, through Andrew Abbott. And then my commentary journey really sort of started to flourish from about 2015 onwards. I met Jake Sanson from Downforce Radio. I did a couple of freebies over the next couple of years. And then Chris McCarthy, another good friend, another good commentator and presenter who's who's recently done his first ever F1 broadcast. And it just so happened to be F1 Kids, which I thought was really, really cool. He gave me a call, said, do you want to do Daytona D-Max and do some work at Rye House, where Lewis Hamilton started his career 
way back when, and then it started flourishing on from then. I then went into Europe in 2018, again, thanks to Chris. He phoned me two weeks beforehand, and he said, do you fancy going to Karten Genk, which is where Max Verstappen was very, very well known back in the early, you know, the late 2000s. He was a two-time BNL Karting Series champion. And from then on in, so I've been the voice of European Rotax Karting for six years. I've done the BNL Karting Series. I've done sim racing as well for the last three years. And, you know, I've also done multilingual commentary, which includes Formula E this year at Berlin. We've just recently had the direct drive karting world championships at Francia Corte this past weekend. So get well soon, Joe Turney, after the incident that he had. So I, I do quite a lot within motorsport. And it is like people just say, how can you have such a love for racing? And I said, because I live it, I breathe it. You know, most of the times I'm sitting in my office where I am now, if I'm not trackside and I've, I'm doing like prep work for upcoming events. I've got so much going on right up until the, the week before Christmas. That's how crazy my season is. People go, what's an off seat? Do you have an off season? What's that? You know, like literally people don't realize how much effort people like myself. And of course, a previous guest of yours, David Sullivan, good friend of mine we are constantly on the go if it's not commentary it's something else you know you have to sort of really try and diversify a little bit that's what i found over the last three years having been self-employed as a motorsport freelancer doing what i do and it, and it just really like there can be days when i probably won't start work until the afternoon because i'll like with social media there's the good thing is you can schedule quite a lot of stuff and get it out of the way so you can actually have time to sometimes take a step back, detox and rest. And there are some days where I'm getting like four or five hours sleep on a race weekend, but that adrenaline's just flowing through you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think motorsports run on adrenaline. No pun intended. It's all very fast paced and there's a lot going on in a lot of different places. So you mentioned like narrating for Driven Dreams. You mentioned that to me. So how did that come about? Well, I've known Matty Street for quite a few years now. I was brought on board with the X-Cart brand as their orig- as their initial social media manager. And I work with Matty on that. And Matty, like, said, you know, some of the stuff that I do for the Cart Championship is a case of I'm posting the social media. So I'm saying like, when are entries going to open? You know, entries are open for this round. Here's the link. You know, do some graphics, get people excited about it and get their adrenaline bells going because they're like thinking, oh, we've got a race in three weeks. Oh, damn, I forgot to enter. And so he told me about the Driven Dreams project and he said, I'm looking for someone to provide us with a kick-ass intro. And he said, I think you're the perfect person for the job. And on episode one, out of the Driven Dream series, the voice that you hear introducing it is me. And I make a bit more of an appearance on episode number five because David wasn't able to do one of the rounds. I think it was round three at Rara. So I said to Massey, well, look, I'll do the social media, but I'll also do the commentary as well. And so episode five, which I think is being released pretty soon, I got sent a preview of it courtesy of Matty and he was like, it's one of my favorite episodes. And I went, you know what? And I haven't actually, I'll be completely honest, Matty, sorry, I've got to say this. I haven't actually had time to watch all of the episodes yet because it's, I, my schedule is just so rammed, but for him to ask me to do that, he said, here's some footage. I want you, or just here's the page speak as you would be a narrator. 
And it was quite cool because there were times when people say that narration is easy. No, it's far from it. I think I must have, truth be told, probably done about 20, 25 different takes because I'm one of these people as a Virgo, my birthday being early September, Virgos have a tendency to want to make things as absolutely perfect as possible. So I think I must have got through about 15, 20 takes to get it nailed. And with a narration, it's all about delivery. You know, the tone, your, you know, your, if your voice is too high in terms of octaves, it doesn't sound right. The cadence, like the delivery, like saying a little bit of a pause between sentences makes all that little bit of a difference. And so when Matty asked me, I was like, let's do it. And my, my, my mum and dad said, are you on Amazon Prime now? And I was like, yes. But the, fu- the funny thing is, coming on to when they, when they were told by me about that, they couldn't believe their ears. My niece, bless her, who's now not who in February next year is going to turn 18. When she was 12, she, she said, yeah, m- my f- friends think you're cool. I go, why is that? She went, because you're on YouTube. Because a lot of the karting streams that I, I commentate on are fed to YouTube. Which is which is which is great because that's how streaming is going these days. Okay, yes, sometimes it may be behind a paywall, but YouTube is the biggest source of library material for karting, for main forms of motorsport these days. But for me to be involved with the Driven Dreams project was, you know, an absolute treat for for season one and I'm looking forward to actually getting the chance what I do this year to or maybe maybe when I have a break over Christmas and New Year I'll just sort of do a bit of a binge watch just to make sure that my curiosity is satisfied on what the final product looks like. (laughs) I love that so you mentioned first of all I am a Virgo as well early September as well so I completely understand the whole having to get it perfect you should have seen me filming my podcast because guys hate to break it to you my podcast intro and podcast outro are (laughs) pre-recorded so but you should have seen me doing it I literally have in my files on my laptop I have hundreds of where I sat there and said the same thing Mm -hmm. over and over and over again and honestly it's just ridiculous so I completely understand that but I think when you get it perfect it is quite satisfying isn't it so moving on to a completely different topic what is the motorsport life like long hours away from home quite a bit yeah, I mean, I'm. I hate to think how many trips overseas out of this year. I've got 45 out of 52 weekends booked, and that can be from being on site, like the, heading to Dot, the Dortmund Messe in in Western Germany for the ADAC Sim Racing Expo as lead commentator. That's going to be, you know, that's another trip overseas later on this year. I'm back over to Germany the week before Christmas. I'm off to Bahrain for the Rotax Max Challenge Grand Finals as their race reporter for Rotax themselves. I've got months, even after the Sim Racing Expo, I come back, I'm home five days, and I drive to Folkestone to stay overnight to go over for a 10-day road trip in Belgium and Germany. And I've got two karting weekends back-to-back. I've got two days of content with a simulator client. And then I've got two days of respite in Germany and the Netherlands. So I'm like thinking... I can actually have a little bit of a breather. So my phone will be on do not disturb in those two days. That's that's guaranteed. But yeah, like we were talking earlier, Evie, 
it is a case that when you are at a race weekend, just to give you all a bit of an insight, being the commentator for the BNL Karting Series, my job is not just to be the commentator and tell the stories about people in the paddock. I'm also their social media manager for the live streams. I also create all the thumbnail graphics for races that are already recorded whilst we're live. They then go online. I'm then making sure that people are aware of entries. If there's results that need to be posted, I'm putting them on IG stories, for instance. And there'll be times when people go, don't you ever get time to respite? I said, the first time I get respite is when I get to the hotel and go to my room. Because I don't, you know, like you, you spend your whole day filled with adrenaline. You might have had a couple of energy drinks in the morning. That normally happens with me, even despite having the coffee at breakfast in the morning. You know, it's an early start. So like I'll get, for instance, I've got the Rotax Brand Festival and the Golden Trophy. I've already looked at the timetable. We've had a provisional timetable already sorted three weeks before the event. And I realized that I'm going to be commentating on the loudspeakers at the circuit from like, say... It's going to, I'm going to be on the mic for about three hours and we'll finish at about eight o'clock at night. So it'll be pitch black. I'll then be thinking, right, dinner. That's the first thing after that will be, right, okay, dinner. And then I need to go back to the hotel and bed. <laughs> That's the first thing. And even yeah. then, your, your brain is so wired. It is so difficult to go to sleep. It really, really is. And so I might be back at the hotel at 10.30 at night after having a couple of drinks at the bar in the hotel with some of the people that I work with, you know, we're just catching up, we're talking, we're laughing, we're joking. We're just trying to de-stress. Sometimes as a commentator of what I do, your brain is so wired because you're thinking about what's happening tomorrow. So I might go to bed at 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and then I'll be up at like 6.30, 6.45 the following morning, shower, get changed, pack my rucksack, get ready to go downstairs for breakfast, put the backpack in the car, go and have breakfast and then drive to the track. And then you are on the go the whole day. And it, it is, it's one of the nicest feelings that I have is when I'm dry, when I'm getting home, like say for instance, the BNL karting series, we had their final round of the first weekend of October. The first sign of relief that I had was when I was on the plane in my seat. And the first thing that I had on my face were my sunglasses so no one could see my eyes. Headphones on, chill out music, and I slept the whole way back to Stansted. When you get to the fact that you know that point is there, you go, right, smashed it out the park this weekend. Now is the time to rest, recoup. When I got home, I think it was two three o'clock that afternoon i just took my time getting home yeah. i i got off the plane i picked up my bag just took time didn't rush because going onto a plane to get somewhere is a bit of a rush yeah but when you have that return journey home that's when you can just go sigh of relief relax you're now going home you get to sleep back in your own bed again and you're back with the family so it is, it is very, very taxing. There, there are times when I could be working behind my computer for 12 to 14 hours. Like today has actually been quite a chilled out day, but I've had a lot of prep work for the Sim Racing Expo. I've been printing off information that I need. So schedule, floor plan for the Expo, previous results from previous events. So like I've got all the information now and the only thing that I need to find now is an A4 presentation book. So I've got it looking smart and slick when I go to the expo <laughs> this week, which won't be a problem. 
but yeah it is long hours it is seven days a week folks i i'll be completely honest with you it's not a day where something crops up you could get a i could get a whatsapp message at 10 o'clock at night i could get a phone call from continental europe at 7 30 in the morning and i'm still in bed yeah you, your brain is wired differently i have to say that i have to give my family a shout out because they are you know my mum and dad are big supporters of what i do my sister supports me quite a bit and we have very a very very compacted well we have a big house but there's a lot of people in here so there's me my sister my brother-in-law the dog my niece and a four-year-old nephew called Austin who is fully autistic and is non-verbal but a, but a big part of my life I, I've always got time for him he's, he's he's like the the apple of my eye so you have to juggle this sometimes like I'll have schedules to do and like yesterday I spent about three hours scheduling so much social media it was coming out of my ear holes Evie it was that bad but I got the work done and then I thought, right, okay, respite, spend time with family, leave the phone downstairs and just sort of get away from it all. You mentioned traveling. So you've done quite a lot of traveling this year, but I'm assuming you've done lots of traveling in your career. Where is the coolest place you have traveled to? Bahrain, 2021, December for the Rotax Max Challenge Grand Finals. Well, actually, two places that I've enjoyed the most going to was the Sultanate of Oman for the MENA Karting Championships Nation Cup in November of 2021. And then three weeks later, I was at the Bahrain International Karting Circuit, which is right next door to the Secure International Circuit for Formula One. You know, I think it was mainly it wasn't just about the facilities. It was about the people. And. A lot of people in the Middle East are very, very humble. They're very, very welcoming. Okay, yes, they do have their religious faith, but they respect everybody. They're very, very, you know, like say, let me open the door for you or do you need anything? Like they are 100% dedicated in making sure people are looked after. And everyone that I've met in Sultanate of Oman, like my good friend who unfortunately passed away earlier on this year, had a routine knee operation, Javi Balazawawi, very, very good friend of mine, passed away in his early fifties, just a routine operation on, on, a, on surgery on his knee. And he passed away, you know, him and a lot of the team at, at Muscat Speedway, you know, people like Guy Sheffield who runs Alain in, in Dubai, you know, Tony, uh, Tony Kakati, who's the Rotax distributor for the UAE. So many great people I've met over there. And I'm really looking forward to going back later on this year. But Bahrain and Oman, in terms of the the culture, the hospitality, you know, I was really, really blown over because it really puts into perspective where we are, say, in the UK or continental Europe, the generosity and also the the way that they talk to people when you are a foreigner coming into their country, they will look after you because they know that that first impression will last a lifetime. And that certainly has with me. Yeah, that is so lovely. And I think, I think, yeah, as you say, first impressions do. And I think if someone makes a good impression on someone, you're always going to remember it. So I think that is really lovely. This is a story I actually haven't told that much on many podcasts. <laughs> you said about traveling, Evie. 2019, I traveled from Koh Samui in Thailand from and this is the itinerary, folks. I had compression socks and khaki shorts on, which made me look like 
uh, a footballer from the 1960s. Well, I did a poll on Instagram for it and 73% went, yes, you do look like George Best has got his knees out before the flight's on Dubai. So my flight pattern was Koh Samui to Bangkok, Bangkok to Dubai, then to Heathrow Terminal 2, and then from Heathrow to Cologne. The reason being is I flew 20, over 26 hours, including layovers, and that was 11,500 kilometres. For those wondering, that's about 7,500 miles to get to the first round of the Rotax Euro Trophy at Kartengenk in that, that same week. And oh literally, gosh. yeah, but the one saving grace was the compression socks. And the reason being was it stops against excessive blood flow, which thereby creates deep vein thrombosis, which can happen on flights. And there is a trick, folks, that if you do go to another time zone, whether it's an hour or three hours ahead, the best thing to do is set your watch, set your phone and set every electrical gadget to the next time zone before you get on the plane. It means that you're, you're now trying to get your you're trying to trick your body to get into the next time zone. And that can help, especially when you get sleep on the plane. But yeah, that's that's the longest I've had to travel from one location to another to get to a motorsport gig. That is Oh my gosh, that is crazy. 26 hours. That is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. What is your biggest achievement so far? This year, Formula E, Berlin, German commentator for the circuit. As I mentioned earlier on, part of my family, my grandfather Herbert is originally, well, was originally from Berlin. And there was multiple reasons. I'm signed with the loudspeaker agency run by Gemma Scott and Louise Beckett. I have been on their books for since for probably the best part of over a year now. And Gemma said to me, Formula E looking for a commentator for Berlin. Would you be interested? I was like, okay, what's the catch? She went, you've got to do it in German. I was like, hey, let's, let's go for it. Let's go for it. And in Berlin, it's at the Tempelhof. It's always been at the Tempelhof. It's been the longest standing event for Formula E since since it began and there were two reasons actually that I got quite emotional first of all it was the opportunity to actually commentate on an FIA world championship and the, crazy. and the second thing is that Tempelhof is 25 minutes by car away from Charlottenburg which is the suburb where my grandfather was born so for me to have that opportunity, and I have to say, I have to thank Gemma and Louise and the loudspeaker agency for, for giving me that opportunity, because I remember distinctly, because what we, I have to say, I have to give a shout out to a few people on this. Del Brown from Funny Hands Media, you know, all the team there. And then also the people that I was working with, Kiana Freeman and to, uh, Tobias Witten. They were the presenters. I was the shouty bloke on the headset. And I remember, I, I have so many different vivid memories from that weekend, but the fact of the proximity to where my grandfather was born back in, I think it was 1906, and he passed away in 1982. Wow. I, I never got the opportunity to, to know him because I was only five at the time when he passed away. And this year will be on November 5th, 2023 I cannot believe I'm saying this it will have been 41 years since his passing wow and Del said Alex for the final time this weekend you can stand down and I haven't let slip this but this is when you have a moment come over you and it's become so emotional 
I was in tears. I cried my eyes dry for five minutes because of just the magnitude of what I'd have I'd achieved and then of the proximity to where my grandfather was born. And then it was quite funny because we were doing what was called a sports presentation. Now, for, for those wondering what that means, sports presentation is you are doing a live broadcast. You are doing it for the people at the circuit. You're not, it's not on any live stream. You're doing it in the native language of that country. And the funny thing was we all of us got given some merch, which is pretty cool. I didn't expect it. And so I end up getting the bright Barbadian style hoodie I have ever seen. It's got Formula E emblazoned on it. So when we, <laughs> when we were doing the qualifying, so when you, you have the top four going through in the first few sessions and then you've got the jewels. Well, after the Q1 sessions, either Kayana or Toby would come and speak to me. So everyone knew what I looked like. And I went, oh, God, I'm, I, I bet you I get lynched. And it was so surreal. I like became Berlin's famous commentator for a weekend, which was really, really weird. People were asking me for photographs. People were tagging me on social media, like saying, Alex, great job. Well done this weekend. That, oh that really, for me, meant, hang on a second. What? Like, what the dickens? Like, what has actually just happened? And, you know, I can't, I can't thank Gemma and Louise at Loudspeaker for, because they, they have been, you know, I mean, for those that don't know Gemma Scott and Louise Beckett, you will recognize them as the two main people. Louise, with regards to World Endurance Championship, has been in the pit lane for quite a few years and also the European Le Mans series. Gemma Scott, she's the pit lane reporter for Fanatec GT World Challenge, Europe powered by AWS. And they are the two brains behind the loudspeaker agency. There's so many people that are such great people on there. And I'm proud to be to say that I'm I'm blessed to be one of their many people on their roster as a, as a commentator. For me, you know, I I'd always thought, okay, right, what's the next step? Let's find the right agency, Alex. And then Chris again, Chris McCarthy, you're getting so many name checks in this. He said, give him a shout. And as I say, the rest is history. But yeah, Formula E Berlin, hand on heart with. Everything that I've just described, Evie, is my highlight of my career. I have so much respect for racing drivers, despite obviously all the negativity that has surrounded the Qatar Grand Prix quite recently. You know, I I have to say that any racing driver, no matter what category they are in, they should be respected for what they do because. Okay, we're commentators and presenters. We're here to tell the story. The real stars of the show are those putting their lives on the line every single time they get in a racing car or a car or on a motorbike. You have to pay respect to them. And I always treat people the way that I would like to be treated. If you're nice to somebody, be nice. If you haven't got anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. You're better off sometimes keeping your mouth quiet which is why I try to be quite positive on social media. Yes, I flood it with announcements. I spam people, but I want to show that there's some positivity because social media for me is a way of advertising what I'm doing. If there's links, I will share them. And that's how people know who you are rather than sort of like some people getting very, very negative. And, and that's one of the things that I, I hate in social media is vile, unwanted, unneeded toxicity 
I 100% agree. Especially the most thing I've seen it on and quite, I feel like I'm quite a bit big advocate for it is like women in motorsport because so I don't know if you probably know about it it's gone absolutely crazy but Jessica Hawkins did the Aston Martin test yes. and just some of the comments were so vile and genuinely I put a TikTok on, on about it and I had I had a very split comment section I had people agreeing with the vile comments which were ignored they were completely yep. just mm-hmm. and then there was the lovely people in the comments no one should be saying that that is vile they are unwelcome in motorsport do you know what I mean and it's like a really nice community however you do get those vile unwanted comments and they're not nice and I do understand that and I think it's really good that you're trying to make like positivity and it's good that you're using your platform to do yeah. that well it's like when the news broke about Jess and I remember being at the brand finale at Brands Hatch and I'm really, really good friends with their ex director of communications, Matt Bishop, who now has diagonal comms. Matt gets a shout out obviously with regards to, you know, you see so many people who are present within the LGBTQIA side of things nowadays. Uh, Charlie Martin's a good friend. The, the, the first female transgender driver trying to race at the 24 hours of Lamar. And I know for a fact, she's going to do it. She's, she's such a great person uh i've known charlie for years and i really really like to see when jess got behind the wheel of that car and i saw that video the one thing that broke me was like saying i've got to tell you from the this is from the heart you don't know how much this means to me and i shared it straight away because i love what how how strong jess is as a character you know abby eaton her other half is i met at spa Francorch after the crowd strike 24 hours you know, there are so many great people in motorsport. And the one thing is that when someone like Jess Hawkins, the first person in so many years to drive a Formula One car. OK, yes, it was an Aston Martin Cognizant testing program. But for her to get that opportunity is something to cherish, something to say, you know what? I'm so glad that person's got behind that wheel of that car. And I shared it. And I got green love hearts from Jess straight away. That's what I like about people like Jess. Because I've seen people like her, Lando Norris, Max Verstappen, George George Russell, come through karting. And I still remember when George's older brother, Benji, was a multi-time Kartmasters Grand Prix winner at Paul Fletcher International. And I remember, actually, the first ever Kartmasters winner was Sir Lewis Hamilton, way back in the mid-1990s. So... For people that are saying, why are you rattling off these facts? Well, there's an interesting story behind that. My dad, who's in his early 70s now, at the age of 16, told me, Alex, you have a brain which can absorb the most useless and random information possible. And as a commentator, for me, like I can remember things from, like say, 2020 or beyond, because I've experienced those stories. And my mum says, you do have a bit of a photographic memory for remembering such crap, but it pays well when it comes to your commentary. But yeah, like I say, social media, there is not enough, and I'll be completely honest with you, that we have to, in some way, it doesn't matter if you write about it on Twitter or or X or whatever Elon Musk is calling it now. I don't care. I'm still going to call it Twitter because that's what it is. (laughs) If someone puts a vile comment on, if even if you don't say something, but you do something that doing something 
is a way in which you are showing that you are an ally of certain people or you scroll past it and you not ignore it, but you you've got it in the back of your mind. So like if I see something negative, like Matt Bishop was had so many people, there was one particular uh, post that he did on Twitter and there were so many people being so bigoted towards his sexuality. And I've met him. I've met his, his husband, Angel. They are great people. And so the thing is, I block them and I report them for what they've done because your tool isn't just about writing about it. Writing about it is showing a statement of intent, but doing something about it without even thinking like, like a light switch going on. You switch that light on, you get that done and you block, you report them. And normally what I'll do is out of courtesy, I'll DM the person. And I'll say, right, I block that idiot. Because then they can see that, okay, he's not visible above surface, but below surface, I know that he's done something or she's done something. So in some ways, you know, being an ally in some respects, yes, you can show visibility, but you can also show that you're being, you know, not necessarily through visible, but if you are doing it behind the scenes as in to say, Right, I'm doing something about this because I want to, you know, I I remember when I was 15, 16, we didn't have any of this. We didn't even have smartphones. I think I still remember doing some of the older generation out there will know what a reverse charge call is, which is where you went to a payphone, you dialed the reverse charge number, and then you had to tell them the number that you were calling and then say, this is a reverse reverse charge call from Alex will you accept the call and sometimes it would be a case yes you, you someone would take that call or somebody wouldn't like like if you didn't have any money in your pocket or, or whatever so i've seen social media evolve i mean i've been on twitter now for a decade and a half it's funny that i'm saying that that's really really worrying i've just said that but but the thing is i've seen social media platforms evolve to the point where we are seeing that and, and i'll be honest with you the social media firms need to be held accountable they need to have people looking at this, you know, that they're on public stock exchanges, for goodness sake. If they can't see or they don't have the people in place, then why should they be operating that platform is my honest opinion. That's my honest question. But I think it's if we can do something, don't stand on the sidelines, do something, make sure that you do it in your best interest Okay, it may be behind the scenes, it might be behind the veil of social media. But as long as you're doing something, you're doing something rather than sitting there and being either an armchair expert or a keyboard warrior and giving your yeah. two cents, which is something I don't actually have time to do. But if there's something that I, I'm positive about, then I'll, I'll shout about it. But sometimes, you know, there are guys coming out now from like Richard Morris and Racing Pride. I, I've known Richard. For a, for a couple of years now, great person, great ambassador for, for inclusivity, irrespective of who you are, whether you are part of the LGBTQIA plus community or whether you are an ally, you know, look at people like that who are trying to make things more inclusive. Aston Martin, since Matt Bishop was their, their chief, you know, chief communications officer before he went and set up on his own, it made it a great place. And the good thing is Aston Martin are embracing that. And it's great to see a yeah. team like that. Uh, Alpine are doing the same. You're seeing a lot of people within Formula One 
who are becoming visible within within that community. And I, I think if we can't embrace diversity within motorsport, you know, you see such great people. And I have to say, there's one person who always, you know, you look at the people that work in Formula One and you're not, we're not talking drivers. We're talking people who work in broadcasting, like Natalie Pinkham, Rachel Brooks, Naomi Schiff, who's a great addition to the Sky Sports F1 crew. You know, Jess Medland, formerly McFadden, if you might have known her from Jess VTF1 back in the day. She's the lead producer for Sky Sports F1. Ruth Bunscombe at Alfa Romeo. I mean, I've met her. She's an absolutely brilliant ambassador for women in motorsport. And then you, you, see, you see so many people that work behind the scenes. Claire Cottingham, got so much respect for that lass. She's, she's done so much work, worked in Formula One, worked in British touring cars. You know, there's so many great people. Louise Goodman has been around in the British touring car paddock for so many years. And she is very, very well respected. Uh, Gemma and Louise are also very, very well respected. So I'm great to see that the representation in motorsport is changing all the time i mean obviously with w series unfortunately going into bankruptcy but f1 academy has come in its place and i'm really excited to see that's going to be live streamed at cota i'm really really glad to see that that is happening but that's another opportunity where we get to see women drivers compete against each other and i know for a fact there's going to be a female driver in formula one i don't know whether it's yeah. going to be in my lifetime but i know for a fact that that time is near you know, you look at Danica, yeah. Danica Patrick, perfect example of a race winning driver in IndyCar or one of the most testing circuits in Japan, twin ring Motegi, you know, and she's pole, you know, she was fighting at the front end of the field in the Daytona 500. And that's not easy. So you look at all these different women that are within motorsport. And I'm so, so glad that there are people getting the opportunity. Uh, Rosanna Tennant is a name I haven't mentioned. And she's Alice Powell. You know, Alice, who, who's mentor of Abby Pulling, great person, great person. And so there are so many great characters who, who have rightfully earned their place in modern day motorsport. And I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing when we, we do see, you know, that the boys better watch themselves because there are female racing drivers who are young, who are hungry and will come hell or high water get into formula one you see the likes of the iron dames in 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 gt racing sarah bovey michelle gatting and rahul fry i've known i know knew about rahul fry when she was battling Catherine leg in the dtm back in the early 2010s so there are so many people is i think my advice to anybody okay if there are people that you know i'll take another example of someone who i know Anyone might know the viral sensation known as Ash Vandalay from the United States. If they, if anyone, folks, if you're in the position I am, give something back. Because Ash messaged me a few months ago. We had a very, very upfront com conversation. And I said, look, you know what you're worth. Go out and get it. And she's just completed a full season with SRO G World Challenge Americas. And... I got the opportunity to meet her in person at the CrowdStrike 24. And you know what? That girl is one of the, the many female content creators that we've got coming out that are really, really breaking down that barrier. And I'm so, so pleased to see that in this modern day and age, especially with my niece, who's 18. You know, whatever she wants to do in her life, I'll always support her. Uh, so give everyone 
not just your mates, but give people that you know of that you can take a chance on. Give that little bit of advice that can push them forward. So this, these next couple of questions are like the questions I ask everyone, but I feel like we get a lot of different answers and it's very interesting. So first one, who are your motorsport heroes? Commentary heroes, two of which I've, one of which I've actually met. My first, my first commentary hero, man who would have been 100 years old today, Murray Walker, God rest his soul. He was the man that I grew up with, him and James Hunt. His Murrayisms, his wit, his sense of humour. I still remember when Nigel Mansell had a massive lump on his forehead. Murray pulled off the caps and poked him. And he went, does that hurt? Like that. And you could see Nigel wince in pain. But it was Murray's style and his yeah. excitement, his enthusiasm, his passion. And one of the things that I, I took from Murray was standing up when I commentate. Because you've got, you are on, you are on your tippy toes you can spring into action at a moment's notice. Another commentary hero, John Hindor from Radio Le Mans. And he, I met him at the, I think it was the Silverstone Six Hours. It was in the early 2010s. I met him, I met Eve. I'm good friends with Joe Bradley and Nick Damon from RLM because we've had the chance to catch up a few times. So yeah, I mean, commentary heroes, Murray and John. And my racing hero is Ayrton Senna. He was the first man that really, really captivated me in terms of how, how a car dances. You know, like the way that the car was just moving at Monte Carlo, like he was on a completely different level and was a talent of his generation. And I still, I still remember May 1st, 1994, like it was yesterday. I remember exactly where I was. I was in the front room of the house, family house at the time, and saw the accident happen, you know, the medical crew being around him. And yeah, and then when Murray had to deliver the sad news that Ayaton had passed away, I was, I actually, I'll be completely honest, I was, I did not return to watching Formula One for a good year and a half. And that was yeah. until the season when Damon Hill won the F1 World Championship. And I still, whenever men, whenever anyone says Damon Hill, the first thing that comes into my mind are the iconic words from Murray. I've got to stop right now because I've got a lump in my throat. And Ayeton was the person that I really, really supported. I actually have in my in my bedroom, I have a I have a display a display box, and it has a replica helmet of Ayeton race helmet from 1994 in that fateful year it was given to me by my parents as a christmas present and i actually i actually was crying when i saw it i was like you shouldn't have done this like it was so overwhelming it brought that weekend of when we when we nearly lost rubens as well because he was with jordan and had that massive crash in free practice on Friday, Carl Vend yeah, Roland Ratzenberger on the Saturday. Of course, his teammate for Simtech Ford at that time is a good friend of mine as well, David Brabham. Met David a whole heap of times. We keep in touch on a regular basis. And then, of course, Ayeton on the on the Sunday. Uh, so those are my motorsport heroes. Yeah, I was so I went to I did Williams work experience earlier this year, and in the Williams kind of factory, they have a massive massive like museum area and they've got yeah. loads of cars 
including senna's and basically they have so you walk along it's all in time order it's one of the most incredible things i have ever seen mm-hmm. it is just crazy but you can see his car from 1994 and it's just it's so sad like we were all getting emotional when they were talking about it and it's just it's one of the biggest motorsport tragedies definitely definitely yeah I mean I've been to Williams myself as well I've actually I do some work with uh, their esports team as well so you know Williams was a team like after Eton won his final title in 1991 of course Italy only Oh, Nigel, Nigel Mansell winning in 92 and then winning in and has no one in over three decades has done that since won an F1 title gone to IndyCar and then won that as well yeah yeah I, I saw the museum and I was just like there's so much heritage here and which even included the 1999 Lamar winning car when BM when Williams yeah. partnered with BMW that year so that brought a lot of memories for me and I just was completely quiet like they like said have you got anything to say I went I can't believe what I'm saying. And then I just shut up. But yeah, it's really, that's one of the things I think I remember most from Williams. It's just, it was just, because I'm very like new to motorsport. So I'm quite young. Like I've kind of been around it my whole life, but I've only really started like fully being immersed in it. Like a few years. Yeah. So to go to there and to see cars from before I was born and like just masses and masses of just incredible cars with Mm. incredible design behind it it's just one of the one of the coolest things ever so my last question to you if you could get a paddock pass to any race in the world where would you go that is very very straightforward uh for me because considering the fact that i've actually been i've actually driven on when it's not used as a circuit part of it is the roads of the circuit de la south le mans 24 hours that for me is i've been a i've been every single time i get the opportunity and it's a weekend off and lamar is happening i will do my damnedest to stay through the whole night i've actually driven on on the mulzan in and this is when i went to lamar in 2021 for the rotax international trophy which was one of the most testing weekends because I was also doing, I got roped in his last minute to do the commentary for the event, which was 47 races and ended up doing that plus the three social media clients I was working for that weekend. Oh. But yeah, the 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 Van Carter du Mans, the Circuit de la Sarth, to be a part of of that, that is my my ultimate goal. And people might say, well, hang on a second, you how many panic passes have you got? I've, I've got Formula One. I did the 2014 British Grand Prix. I've done World Endurance Championship. I've done the 24 Hours of Spa. I've done British Touring Cars. DTM. I think about six or seven visits as media to Autosport International. Formula E, which I... That wasn't my first trip in the paddock earlier on this year to Formula E. I actually was there for the 2016 doubleheader at Battersea Park when Degrassi and Buemi came together. And I still remember that weekend seeing the front right wheel of Lucas Degrassi's car reaching as the Michelin rubber was being worn away to the quick. But the 24 hours of Lamar would be the place for me. It's the technological advancements that we're seeing with the hypercars, you know, with a lot of brands now coming in. Next year, we're going to see Alpine with their new LMDH car. We're going to see BMW with the MV8 hybrid. And then, of course, one car that I'm looking forward to listening to 
is the Lamborghini SC. For, for me, the road car, the race car to road car technology parallel between what Toyota, Audi, Peugeot, and so many different manufacturers have done over the years. And then you look at the GTE, which are now going to be replaced by GT3. It is the true sign of technology for the road being developed on a racetrack. That's exactly what Lamar is. It's all about innovation, trying to find the next the next big thing on how they can sell cars because for a lot of years it's always been race on Sunday sell on Monday and that still can be correlated but not as big as it used to be in the 90s with like say the British touring cars but yeah Lamar would be on would be on that list big time yeah I think it's it's up there for me definitely I think it's just so cool Mm -hmm. it's just one of them things that like once in your lifetime you have to do so yeah I understand that. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. No it's problem been at all. Epic. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Paddock Pass podcast with me, Evie Spencer. Make sure to follow this podcast for more episodes and head over to my socials for more motorsport content.